Even in these times, we appreciate your presence in the house of God. We're going to have a wonderful word from the Lord this afternoon. Well, still this morning. But before we do that, this is our two-minute moment of inspiration. I'm going to introduce to you William Jefferson Clinton. If you want to lead something, start by saying, this is what I care about. This is what I want to do and why I think you should care about it and you should want to help. Hardly a day goes by that I don't think how fast my life has flown. All I remember is if it were yesterday, the first day I became president. Hardly anything worth doing can be done alone. This is a particularly disorienting time for billions of people in the world. You've got major uncertainties about what's gonna happen in the years ahead. At a time like that, you really need good leadership skills. And you need people whose goal it is to pull people together, not drive them apart. People need to feel the potential to create a better tomorrow. This class is unlike anything I've ever done. I'll be teaching skills I developed and used in very challenging leadership positions. And I hope that those skills will help you in your personal and professional lives. You'll learn how to work with people you don't agree with. <laughs> may not even like, and how to mediate conflicts. I don't believe being nice is inconsistent with being tough and smart. You gotta be tough as nails with your tender heart. I have encountered a lot of setbacks. I lost two elections after I entered politics. I've had ferocious opposition where the whole strategy was to try to destroy me as a person. My mother died after I became president. I've had a lot of things that really hurt. But in the end, the great adventure of life is what you decide to do with it. We're all struggling mortals with fleeting lives who are trying to be right as often as we can and trying to live a life that amounts to something. A good leader will share the credit when something good happens and assume responsibility for the mistakes and not look for a scapegoat. I believe leaders are not just born, they are also made. And I hope everybody who watches this will say, what am I gonna do to be a better leader? I'm President Bill Clinton, and this is Masterclass. Amen. You don't have to clap, <laughs> it's not required. I just wanna share things with you that I believe will empower you to think differently. So it isn't really about cheering for it or agreeing with it. It's listening to it. That's greater than anything else because my philosophy is we can learn from everyone. And what I do when I listen to these uh, talks, I listen to truths that I think are being distilled by God but being used by men. And one of the things that he said is people need to feel the potential to create a better tomorrow. And it sounds to me like that is the purpose of the church's existence, to create in people this passion, this drive to create a better tomorrow. But then he continued by saying, and you're going to have to learn how to work with people that you don't agree with. And being tough is not inconsistent with being nice. So you can be tough with your tender heart and still get the job done. He said, what, why are you doing this, Pastor? This isn't really... Well, I'm trying to change the culture, I believe, not just of our ministry, but the culture of our people so that we think beyond just what we've been exposed to 
And a lot of what we've been exposed to really has just been the bantering of each other at each other's throats. And what moves me more than anything else, because I am a person of color, I believe the gospel is beyond color, but I don't believe that the gospel excludes people of color. And what I mean by that is I look around in my world and I see other ethnicities doing incredible things, doing wondrous things, having enclaves that they live in, having environments and disciplines that they specialize in. And I ask myself a question, where are my people? Where could I say in this city, my people live? And they built a community that is an example to others. And sadly, when we look at where our people are, they're generally, generally, not always, generally in the impoverished government assisted areas, dealing with all the issues from violence to drugs, single mothers, fathers and such the like. And not that that isn't a reality of life, but someone has to say, there's better for us as a people. And that is part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God comes to make us better as we make the world better. You can't be making the world better while your life is falling apart. The husband man should be the first partaker of the fruit. So when you watch these master classes, just little snippets, I just want you to listen for truths that you will hang your hat on and say, I'm going to build my life on that. Last week we began by talking about, can you get me up guys? Let's go to relevant Christianity. And I'm building, I'm not just preaching for the sake of preaching. In fact, all of my sermons are done for the month of February and it's building. We're building something of thought that will drive action. And today we're talking about the relevance of Christianity. Last week we talked about a Christianity Ephraim that matters to people. Because God should matter to this world because it's His world. And think of it like this, if it's God's world, and the occupants don't care about him. How do you think that makes him feel? So we draw in oxygen that he provides. We eat the blessings that he provides. We live in a world he causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust lets the rain fall. And people don't care about him. How would you feel if someone lived in your house and you did all of those things and they pretended you didn't exist? The job of Christianity is to show people that God matters. And we do that by making ourselves relevant to the world. We do that by allowing the salt not to lose its savor. So go back and review last week when we talked about mattering. This week, I'm going to show you three options or three paths that the body of Christ, the church, our faith, Christianity can take. And you will see that we have walked on all of these paths. Some of you will say, I, I know that one. My, my former church used to believe that one. Then I'm going to show you which one I believe God would have us to walk on. I'm going to do a, a, a study in hermeneutics today. Hermeneutics is the science of interpreting the scriptures. I want you to know that every pastor, it's my belief, should be a scientist of the scripture. I call them a theological scientist. Because there's a way to interpret the scriptures. So we're going to do a little study and, and show you how we've used scripture to further advance what we think and believe. And the most dangerous thing you can do in life is to number one, have the wrong belief and then put scripture behind it. That's the most dangerous thing you could do. Have the wrong belief 
and then add a scripture to it, it compounds that and makes it so hard to change. So let's look at the three options that are before us. These are three options of for our Christianity. Here is the first option. The first option that we've taken when it comes to the relevance of our Christianity is saying to the people of God, let's keep away from this world. Let's have nothing substantial to do with this world. I'm going to show you where we've, got, where we've gotten that from and how we can probably better interpret the scriptures. So this is option one. Keep away from this world. And you say, no, not, not me, Pastor. Let me show you what I mean by that. Here's the first thing. As a Christian, don't get too involved in the world. Don't get too involved. You're not staying here very long. This is not really where you belong, so don't get too involved. We go to a scripture like this. It's found in the book of 2 Timothy. Watch. No man that warreth entangles him or herself in the affairs of this world. Don't get too involved. And the reason why you don't want to be entangled is that you might please him who hath called you to be a soldier. And it seems like the scripture is saying, don't get too involved, doesn't it? Gives you that impression, don't get too involved. But the key word is the word entangled. And here's where the science of interpreting the scripture, the scripture speaks for itself. The word is not, no man that war does not involve himself. The word is entangled. And the word entangled means to be trapped by and thus controlled by. To be trapped by and thus controlled. What God is saying to us is not that we shouldn't be involved, but we shouldn't be trapped by this world and hence controlled by this world. When you're entangled by something, it has control over you. There is a difference between entanglement and involvement. Please remember that. Let's move one step further now. Have you heard this phrase before? You can say, man, this is not our home. In fact, there are songs that we will sing that will enunciate this. This is not our home. You see, he's finished it off for me. But we're only, see, you can help me out today. It's okay. Even at home, you could nod on your computer and put your thumbs up. You've heard this before. This is not our home. We're just passing through. And then we get scriptures like this. Abraham, by faith, he sojourned in the land of promise. Because he was looking for a city that had foundation, whose builder and maker is God. So it doesn't seem like this is our home. But here's the challenge with that. We have forgotten that there's this scripture there. The earth is the Lord's. How could the earth be your father, your father's, and this not be your home? I want you to think for a moment. How could the earth belong to your father and this not be your home? Well, maybe God's trying to teach us something. Maybe he's trying to teach us two aspects of what our home is. That we have a temporal home in the now. And that temporal home is here right now. Secondarily, we have an eternal home in the not yet. So the Christian lives in what I call tension between the now and the not yet. So because you live in this world right now, let's make the most of it while we wait for the world to come. So if this earthly house of this tabernacle be dissolved, we've got a building eternal in the heavens. But it doesn't mean that we should be slack in this home. 
In fact, I will teach you something. How you live in this home actually prepares you for the home to come. So this is my home because God has placed me here. And as long as I'm in this world, I am the light of the world. That's how you've got to think. This is our home. We are responsible. Because if this is not our home, we then throw our hands up and we let it go to the... It's exactly what we do. We turn it over. One pastor told me, he said, and I almost fainted because we were in a debate, a little conversation, and he was making all these points. And then he says, God doesn't care about this world. I almost fainted. I said, of course, God cares about this world. He cares so much about this world that he gave his. This is God's world. And this is our home. Look at this one. This one's going to be good. You've heard this one, right? Don't get too involved. Come out from among them. <laughs> Everyone, if you believe this, you've got to quit your job tomorrow. Come out from among them. Don't, don't get involved. Don't touch the, the unclean thing. And God says, I will receive you. Let me show you where this comes from. It comes out of the book of 2 Corinthians. Come out from among them. Be separate. Touch not the unclean thing, saith the Lord. And it seems like God is asking you to come out. Come out. But there's a verse that goes before verse 17. And that's verse number 14. The context begins like this. Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship? Or communion those are the two key words if you're going to understand coming out and being separate you must understand those concepts in light of fellowship and communion I'm going to give you a definition for fellowship and tell me what you think fellowship with God primarily is intimacy with the right God that defines every other relationship that's fellowship it's having intimacy with the right God, and that intimacy will help you to define every other relationship. If you are intimate with God, it will tell you what else you can and who else you can be intimate with. So it starts with fellowship with God. He will tell you where you can continue having fellowship, with whom you can continue having fellowship. That is the key when it comes to coming out. See, people are coming out from the world, but they have not began the understanding of, I need to first have fellowship with God to know who I can be and with what I can be intimate with. Let's continue just a little further. I'm going to show you something else. This is what option number one produces. And may I say this, in my estimation and my experience, much of the Christianity that I've seen operates in this level. It's called escapist Christianity. It's where we live in a world that we're not actively involved in. We're not engaged in this world. We're not consumed by what consumes others, the issues of the day. And we simply have our services in the world, but we're not engaged with the comings and goings of the world. Now, this is not a new thing because I want you to know that the entire book of First Thessalonians is written because of this. And this will surprise you because in the first century, Paul had to deal with this. People that decided that they weren't going to get involved anymore with society. They were going to come inside their buildings, their homes, and just sort of wait for the Lord to return. Not get involved. 
when you have a moment, read the book of First Thessalonians, and you will see why Paul would then begin to say, this has produced in the church a group of busybodies. And that's what's going to happen. When you escape from your responsibility in the world, the only thing left for you to do is to focus on each other. You become insular, you get involved in each other's business, affairs, and Paul says you're walking around like busybodies. Then he drops this hard line. If any man doesn't want to work, he shouldn't. Because he really wants you to get up and go and do something with your life. And this is the book that gives rise to the whole understanding that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, the trump of God, and the voice of the archangel, and we shall be caught up with him. This is not the option for today's world. We can, brothers and sisters, use our gatherings here as a means of escape. And by that I mean by getting up from here, we really don't have an intention of doing anything else in the world but working and waiting to come back here. Think about what I'm saying. The first option could not be what we take. Here's the second one. Well, there, there's a scripture, a beautiful scripture. Uh, I pray that you wouldn't take them out of the world, but that you'd preserve them. And as you have sent me, this is Jesus talking, as you've sent me into the world, so I've also sent them into the world. Here's the second position that some take. I call this position the go-along-to-get-along position. It's where you don't want to really ruffle any feathers. Most Christians, when they're newly converted, they kind of take this position. They really don't want a lot of people to know that they are believers, especially if you've come from a secular environment. So you sort of go along to get along, and you sort of keep things quiet, keep it under the rug. And what you do is you are a Christian, I'm a Christian on Sunday, and then Monday I'm a secularist. So people really don't know of my job, that I attend the church. I don't want to tell anybody that I've given my life to the Lord. I kind of keep it quiet. In some cases, I don't want people to make fun of me. I don't want people to think that I've joined something that's not legitimate. So I'm very strong when I'm among those who believe, but I'm not as strong when I'm among those who are non-believers. I'm a little quiet with my Christianity. This is what I call quietism. And here, what happens in this case is we sort of conform because we really don't want to create any waves. I don't want to say much on the job. I don't want to bother. You know, the guy beside me, he's Muslim. The guy beside me, he's atheist. I really don't. I'm not here to, you know, stir the pot. I just want to keep it, you know, my faith is my faith. His faith is his faith. And let's keep it like that. That's conformist Christianity. That's going along to sort of, to sort of get along. All right? And then, of course, you don't want to rock the boat of society. You don't want to say anything publicly. So you might end up working with people for 10 years and they may never know. And then one day, they come to your ministry and they say, you go to church? <laughs> you never told us you wanted to. So, well, I don't want to rock, I don't want to, you know. And depending on societal norms, you might feel like saying something is being a little overbearing and you don't want to be too religious. So you sort of just go with the flow. Now here's the problem with conformist Christianity. That's what that's going to produce. You conform. You try not to stand up because you don't want to be identified. Now think about it like this. What would happen if we were Christians in a world of persecution and we took this? We would certainly would hide. So conforming means that you really don't want anyone to identify you as a believer. 
when I was first a Christian, when I became a Christian, I took this position. I really didn't want a lot of people to know that I was now a Christian. In some cases, I'll help you because of some of the things you did, you thought people wouldn't believe. They wouldn't believe that you, you go to, you attend, and so you sort of play it safe this way. But here's what Paul says about this. He says, I beseech you, brethren, that after you present your bodies daily, you should not conform to this world, but your goal should be transformation. Now notice what he says in this verse speaks to the first option. You can't trans transform what you're not involved with. You cannot transform what you're hiding from. So transformation means that people have got to see you as the caterpillar that's becoming the butterfly, hoping to do the same thing to the world. I think transformation is powerful because what should happen is those who knew you then, when they see you now, they should say something. Those who hear you now, who heard you then, they should be amazed at how you speak. It gives you an opportunity to talk about the power of transformation. Listen, if any person be in Christ, they are a... Old things have passed away, all things become new. It's impossible to hide new things. Here's the position that I believe that God has taken for us. I believe that the position of the body of Christ should be a mindset that says, I'm in this thing for transformation. And I'm in this thing for transformation to the end of my life or the end of time, whichever one comes first. I'm in this thing for transformation. I am being transformed and my transformation is going to produce transformation in anything and everything that I am involved in. That's the position that I believe we should take. Let me prove it. Number one, ready? Our lifetime should be pursuing active change. Every single moment of our lives, we should be looking for ways to introduce change into the world. And you shouldn't allow someone who doesn't know the greatest change agent to be the drivers of change. Does that make sense? So you can't allow people who don't know the change agent, that's God, to be the drivers of change. I haven't got to where I want to go in a few weeks, but you can't allow people who don't love God to love his world more than you do. So then the environment is my responsibility. We love Greta, but it can't be her responsibility. Are you following what I'm saying? And there's a lot more that I'll talk about as we go on, but this is how you've got to think. I'm in this thing to promote change in this world. Now I'm going to show you something. Options one and two, the devil will leave you alone. Option three, that's when you will encounter him. He does not bother people who are trying to run out of this world because you have abdicated your position. He doesn't trouble people who conform to this world because you end up playing on his team. But those who are seeking to transform the world become what I call thorns in his side. If you want to see a real fight, enter the transformation game. So I need everyone to understand this. You are in this thing for as long as you live for active change. That means watch, you are changing and you're changing the world. The Christian does not remain stagnant or the same. Anything that is stagnant or remains the same that is alive, it breeds disease.
Number two, we're going home quickly. Watch. Jesus says it like this. Watch. As long. You see that phrase? As long as I am in the world. I am the light of the world. Don't let him say that in isolation. Echo those words in your life. If he said that, that's what I'm going to say. As long as I'm in the world, I'm going to be the light of the world. That's called, ready? That's called continuity of what he began to teach and to do. Let's go a little further. Ready? Watch. Our faith, the reason why transformation is a lifetime thing, is the faith that we have demands change. If you have faith, it's telling mountains to move right now. If you've got faith, it's telling demons back up. There's no way that you can have watch. And the faith that you and I have, brothers and sisters, it's the faith of the Son of God. Galatians 2.22 There's no way that you can have faith and it's telling devils, just do, what you, do whatever you want. Have your way with our bodies, sickness. Rob us and devoid us of the blessings of God. Faith demands that mountains move. Isn't that what the Bible says? That if you have this kind of faith, you will say to the mountain, Be thou removed, and you shall have what you... Faith demands change. Faith does not settle with the world as it is. Faith sees the world the way it should be. And gives you the works to make it possible. I have faith. I just don't want to do anything. You don't have faith. Because faith without active works is in fact dead. Watch. And inside of us, I believe this. Whether you nod your head, say amen or not. I believe that in every person, there's an anticipation of a better future. Can I say this? Even within the heart of the unbeliever, somewhere in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. We long for something better than this. So we should be taking steps. Let me give you the scripture. The path of the just is as a shining light, shining brighter unto a perfect day. What's that future that we're hoping for? Well, well, in our lifetime or in our children or their children's lifetime, God promised us that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as waters cover the seas. That's why we're in this thing for transformation. This is the option given to us. The other two are non-options. They're non-negotiables. We will not conform to this world and we will not escape from this world. But we will be present in this world overseeing by the grace of God its transformation. I underline the word stewardship and I say that God has made us a manager of this world. That's all that I want you to know today. Because if you don't take this position, what I teach you next week and the following weeks and when we move to present Christianity, it will not speak to you because escapism is not where I'm going. Conformism, conforming is not where I'm going. We're going to what we call present Christianity, where the world knows that we are here, not in some arrogant way, not in some beat you over the head and beat you down religious way, but through active works of transformation, they know that the world is here. And when the Son of God returns, he will find faith in the earth. 
next week I begin the real work. I'm sorry, this is what option three produces. This is the kind of Christianity that God has called us. It's called occupational Christianity. It's when you occupy, sit somewhere, govern, rule, steward, subdue, have dominion. Say, what is that, Pastor? Well, it's simple. It's Luke 19, verse 13. I want you to transform, occupy, until I come. This is the position we're going to take. If we don't take it, then all that we're going to talk about will make no sense. Next week, I'm going to do this, and this is where I really get going now. We're going to name the mountains of culture and society. It's going to take about two weeks to really walk you through them. These high places, the book of Ephesians talks about we wrestle not against flesh and blood, spiritual wickedness that's lodged in high places. I'm going to show you the different mountains of culture and society. And I'm also going to show you that the greatest mountain is the church. It's called Mount Zion. Mount Zion is not some literal mountain in Jerusalem. That was a figure. But Psalm 48 teaches us that great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. Watch, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north. The kings of the earth passed by, they saw it, and they trembled when they saw the high place of God. Now would you rise on your feet, everyone? I want you to take that position that I'm an agent of transformation. I am an agent of change. And I'm going to try to figure out how to bring change in the different areas of life. Wherever you place me, God, I'm going to figure out how to bring change and transformation. We're going to pray a simple prayer because it takes skill to transform the world. The Lord doesn't want you to go out in the world and to offend everybody and turn them off until they want nothing to do with your God. He that wins souls is wise. In the same way that the promotion of transformation, it takes wisdom. Number one, and then we'll go home. If you don't love people and love this world, go back home for a bit. Because transformation cannot start without a genuine care for people and God's world. Slip up your hands, everyone, even at home. I want you to ask God in your own way to give you the skill. Wherever you find yourself vocationally, you all don't work in this sanctuary, you don't work in the offices. There's some place that God has placed you. And I want you to take a moment and ask Him for the skill of transformation. How can you introduce change in your office, change in your classroom? change in the warehouse if you've got your own business change for your employees how can i be an agent of transformation and it doesn't matter where you are ye are the salt of the earth ye are the light of the world father give us the wisdom of transformation as you send us into the world make us wise as serpents but harmless as doves authorize and anoint us to be agents of transformation in Jesus name and we will exalt you amen I'll see you next Sunday